Welcome to the Join My League Football Podcast with your host, Tim Collector. See what happens, Larry? You see what happens? This is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass, Larry. This is what happens, Larry. You see what happens, Larry? You see what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass? This is what happens. You see what happens, Larry? You see what happens, Larry? Do you see what happens, Larry, when you fuck a stranger in the Feel my pain, Chicago. Feel it. I tried to tell you, and you didn't want to hear it. And before I go any further, let me say that this is not going to be a troll episode. I'm not going to sit back for a half an hour plus just to rip the Bears and their fans. But do you see what happens? You brought this on yourselves. It is not my fault. You want to troll me all week long? Send nasty messages to my inbox after a very minor verbal assault last week? It was minor. And Chicago fans are the last ones to be pointing fingers about bad words. You remember Steve Bartman? The Cubs fan who other Cubs fans blame for the team missing out on the World Series in 2003? Do you remember him? You probably do, but you don't hear about him anymore because he was forced into witness protection because of you people and you want to come at me because I said some bad words last week? Give me a break. You're awful people. And now, karma gotcha. This is what happens, Larry. And let me say that I do not hate this Bears team. I don't even dislike them. It's hard for me not to like them. It's hard for me not to like Mitchell Trubisky. It's hard for me not to like the defense. And I'm a big fan of Khalil Mack and Coach Matt Nagy. This is not a Bears thing or even a Bears fan thing. Certain people from certain fan bases are the scum of American sports. And now Cody Parkey is not going to be able to leave his house for a long, long time because he missed a kick. Even though that kick was tipped, and even though he put up the majority of points in that game for the Bears on Sunday. And I'm not even taking aim at my friends who are Bears fans and other fans that I've seen on social media uh, show Cody Parkey support. I'm not taking aim at those people. You know, they trash talk, which is a good thing. It's all in fun. These people love their team, and they're good people. But some of you other people, you make death threats on people like Parkey and his family. You wish harm upon them. You're the same people who ruined Steve Bartman's life in 2003, and you're a disgrace. And don't tell me that they're not out there. Take a listen. Tell me that guy wouldn't at least verbally harass Cody Parkey if he saw him walking down the street. And as silly as it sounds, I understand depression in sports. I understand heartbreak in sports. I can't tell you the number of times that I ended up extremely upset due to an outcome of a game. Yes, it's just a game. It's okay to be upset. It's not okay to be a piece of shit. Never once have I wished harm on any individual or his family because of his part in a team's loss. That's because I'm a good person. And Chicago isn't the only fan base out of control. As a matter of fact, Philadelphia, they're one of them. 
Buffalo has their history. So it's not one. And it's not really a fan base problem. Yeah, certain fan bases are worse than others, but it's not a fan base problem. It's a people problem. Since the rise of social media, which is interacting with other people behind a screen, people don't have filters anymore. Keyboard warriors are real. They talk way too much trash behind a screen. Their attacks turn personal behind a screen, talking about an athlete's family, their personal lives. And I truly think it spills over into real-life situations. That is not okay. You cannot go to a football game anymore. And you know, I won't even go to a football game anymore because you never know when you're going to run into some drunken idiot that turns a good time into a night in jail because somebody's got too much team pride. It's not that serious. I've been to Soldier Field multiple times wearing a different colored jersey. And at most in my experiences, there's some trash talk, middle fingers, and maybe a beer or two thrown my way. And if you know me personally, you know that I embrace the hate. There's nothing more satisfying to me than to have a beer thrown my way during a game knowing that person is wasting $12 on a 24-ounce cup of fluid. I love it. But you know what? It's always ended in high fives and laughter and good luck in the playoffs. But the last game I attended was more than 10 years ago. I know I can't go to football games anymore rooting for another team because I'd get into a fight, even if I, if I mind my own business. Someone's bound to mess around. It's not right. And I attribute that to the rise of social media. Remember, it's okay to trash talk. It's okay to be upset, but it's not okay to be a piece of shit. All right, enough of that. We got a packed show today, so let's get started. It was a fantastic first weekend of the NFL playoffs. I went 4-0 this weekend in podcast, or last weekend in podcast picks. And I'm surprised at how many people that I saw who went 0-4. That surprises me because I gave you spoilers last week. I gave you the right answers and you go against me. I feel like I feel like God when he told Adam and Eve not to eat the forbidden fruit and they did anyway. I feel betrayed. I gave you the four teams that were going to win and you don't listen. Well, maybe you learned your lesson and you'll follow my lead this week. Picks to come at the end of the show as always. But first, what's next for the losers of wildcard weekend? Let's start with the first game of wildcard weekend. Let's start with the Houston Texans. What is next for the Houston Texans? It's pretty obvious, but I can't say it enough. Offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. Building protection around Deshaun Watson is about the only thing Houston needs to worry about this offseason. Deshaun Watson was sacked 62 times uh, prior to the playoffs, most in the league. This is how bad the Houston Texans offensive line is. They gave up a sack on 11.5% of dropbacks this season with a mobile quarterback. The average is just about seven. And here's the issue. There are plenty of other teams in the NFL who also need to build an offensive line, and Houston will be picking in the draft behind all of those teams. So trade up. uh, Find a diamond in the rough. Hit free agency. Make some trades. Whatever it takes. Because if the Texans do not shore up the offensive line in the offseason, Deshaun Watson is not going to last very long in the NFL. And he's a very good quarterback. They also have the best wide receiver in the game in DeAndre Hopkins. And the Houston Texans have a very stout defense. So you fix the offensive line, and Houston could become a real problem starting in 2019. What's next for the loser of Saturday night's game? What's next for the uh, the Seattle Seahawks? 
Nothing. Okay, maybe if you're a Seahawks fan, you'd like to see them shore up on defense a little bit, maybe wind up with more than four draft picks come April. But outside of that, what do you expect out of them? They overachieved this year. They finished 2018 with a 10-6 tw- uh, record and a wild card berth. And depending on how positive you want to be about their season, you can make a case that they were a couple of single plays away from going 12-4. and four. But 10-6 and six is okay because... That's better than what 95% of people outside of Seattle predicted for them at the beginning of the year. You know, experts and such, including me. The Seahawks were predicted a 6-10 record at best, so they flipped the script. Seattle's in prime position already to build on a successful 2018 into 2019. Sunday afternoon, the Ravens lost, so what's next for the Ravens? This one is really easy develop Lamar Jackson. They said that he's their quarterback going forward, so you have no choice but to develop Lamar Jackson. And I have to admit, I've had a soft spot for the Ravens since they joined the league. The consistency that franchise has shown over the last 20 years or so on defense in particular is nothing short of spectacular. I openly rooted for the Ravens in both of their Super Bowl appearances, and I've always considered John Harbaugh, a very underrated coach. But not replacing Lamar Jackson with Joe Flacco at halftime of the Ravens' wildcard game against the Chargers, there's no excuse. Jackson did a good job in the fourth quarter rallying the team to within six, and I'm not saying Flacco would have rallied them to a comeback victory, but Flacco can pass the ball, and Lamar Jackson cannot. And while I was screaming for uh, Harbaugh's head in the second half of that game, I've softened my stance a little bit. I'm sure Harbaugh's going to be back next season, but who knows? One thing I do know is that uh, Joe Flacco is not going to be back. And Lamar Jackson is now the Ravens quarterback. But he needs to develop in all aspects of quarterbacking. So that should be the Ravens' number one priority this offseason. Develop his mechanics and maybe get him a little help at receiver because you know there's not a whole lot out there. And lastly, if you're a fan of the Chicago Bears, relax. You don't have to turn me off. I'm not going to troll you. I did enough of that post-game on Sunday. I'm going to get serious. So what's next for the Chicago Bears? Much like the Ravens, develop your quarterback. Mitch Trubisky is not a bad quarterback. While he was raw as WWE on Monday nights coming out of college, he is entering year number three next season, and the Bears did not draft him number two overall just to not screw up. You draft a quarterback number two overall uh, to be a franchise quarterback and to lead your team to championships you got to get him fully developed. The Bears are way ahead of schedule, and much like the Seahawks, nobody really expected much out of the Bears this season. Nine wins, and just on the outside of the playoff bubble looking in, that is about what most people saw coming from the Bears this season. Instead, they won their division with 12 wins, and if not for a missed field goal, they'd be two wins away from a Super Bowl appearance. As heartbreaking and as hilarious as their season ended, for me, the Bears and their fans, they have no reason to be hanging their heads. The team's young, and most notably, the defense is young and already one of the very best in the league. Even without Vic Fangio, who's now head coach of the Denver Broncos, the Bears are going to be fine. All right, much like last week when I went to review my preseason playoff and Super Bowl predictions, this week I'm going to do a review of the NFL season awards preseason prediction. And even though the NFL season awards, they're not going to be announced until the night before the Super Bowl at the NFL Honors, I'm going to take a stab at who I think wins these awards and compare them to my preseason predictions. And I got to say, 
I did much better on these predictions than I did playoff predictions. First and foremost, MVP, most valuable player. I predicted this award would go to Drew Brees. However, there's no reason he should win the award over Patrick Mahomes. There's just no reason. The only way Brees gets the award is if the committee wants to see him get one before he retires. Outside of that, the award should go to Patrick Mahomes, and it's not even close. Over 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns. If he does not win the MVP award, then the award itself is meaningless. Only the third player in history to throw for 50 touchdowns in a season. The other two, you might know them, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. As I said, the only other realistic MVP candidates are Drew Brees and I'd say Andrew Luck as well. Drew Brees threw for over 1,000 less yards than Mahomes and 18 less touchdowns. Andrew Luck threw for 500 less and 11 less touchdowns and three more interceptions than Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is your 2018 NFL MVP. So if he's our MVP, who's the Offensive Player of the Year? I predicted that would be Phillip Rivers. But honestly, I think they'll give this award to Drew Brees. This is basically an MVP runner-up award. So if Brees doesn't win MVP, I'm sure he'll win Offensive Player of the Year. Although you really could give this award to Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees, or Andrew Luck, and I wouldn't have a problem if the NFL went with any of these guys. Uh, Defensive Player of the Year, I chose J.J. Watt, hoping he would stay healthy all year and not take a step back. Then Week 1 happened, and I wanted to change my prediction to Khalil Mack. And while J.J. Watt did stay healthy... And he didn't take a step back. He had 61 tackles, 16 sacks, and 7 forced fumbles. Khalil Mack ended up with 47 tackles, 12 and a half sacks, an interception, 6 forced fumbles, 2 recoveries, and a defensive touchdown. All that. And the award's going to be given to Aaron Donald. Because while J.J. Watt and Khalil Mack had great overall seasons, J.J. had a couple of quiet games, and Mack did have an injury that slowed him down in the middle of the season, Aaron Donald has been an absolute beast all year long. From the interior of the defensive line, as a defensive tackle, he put up better stats than J.J. or Mack. By that, I mean sacks, sack numbers. 20 and a half sacks for a defensive tackle. That's absolutely insane. There's no reason J.J. Watt or Khalil Mack should even be considered anymore for the Defensive Player of the Year award over Aaron Donald. Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year, I predicted Saquon Barkley to grab the Offensive Rookie of the Year award, and in all likelihood, he will. Although, you could really make a good argument for my boy, Baker Mayfield. We talked last week about what Baker did for Cleveland this season, and on top of that, he threw for more touchdowns than any rookie in history. But I have to go with Saquon Barkley. He was the lone bright spot on an otherwise miserable Giants offense. Saquon Barkley is only the third rookie in NFL history to have over 2,000 yards from scrimmage. One was Eric Dickerson, and the other one, I think, was Marshall Falk? Or was it Edgerin James? Can't remember. I want to say Marshall Falk, but I believe it might have been Edgerin James. I'm not sure. Someone's bound to correct me. So, in any case, the Offensive Rookie of the Year should go to Saquon Barkley. However... Due to the man crush that I have on Baker Mayfield, I wouldn't be upset if they shared the award, or even stiffed Saquon completely. No offense, Giants fans. Alright, Defensive Rookie of the Year, that's an award that's always tricky to predict. There's so many rookies taken in the draft, and defenses are loaded with depth. It's not like an offense where you know the Rookie of the Year for offense is going to either be a quarterback, a running back, or a wide receiver. On defense, 
any rookie at any position can win this award. It's always smart to go with linebackers, and that's what I did at the beginning of the year when I predicted the defensive rookie of the year would be Roquan Smith. The Georgia Bulldog alum finished with 121 tackles, five sacks, and an interception for the Bears. It's a great rookie stats, but there's so many other rookies to give this award to that would make sense. I think the leader probably being Darius Leonard from the Colts, who led the entire league in tackles as a rookie with 163 to go along with seven sacks, two interceptions, four forced fumbles, and two fumble recoveries. Another well-deserved candidate for the award is Chargers safety Derwin James. Finished with 105 tackles, three and a half sacks, and three interceptions. And lastly, Broncos defensive end Bradley Chubb, who had 60 tackles, 12 sacks, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery on the year. All four guys had great years, and all four guys are probably very deserving of this defensive Rookie of the Year award. But if I had to give it to one guy, it would be Darius Leonard, who, barring injury, he figures to be a top linebacker in the league for the uh, next 10 or 15 years. And when I was thinking about these season awards throughout the duration of the regular season, the Comeback Player of the Award was always one award that you couldn't really go wrong with because this season, there have only been two real candidates, Andrew Luck and Adrian Peterson. I picked Luck, but it wasn't until we got deep into the season that I was confident I had made this prediction correctly because Adrian Peterson was on Luck's tail all year long. Everyone knows that it's been a tough couple of years for Andrew Luck, whose career was in jeopardy due to a severe injury. After a promising start to his career, Andrew Luck missed all of 2016 rehabbing, and there were uh, some serious doubts that he'd, be, he'd ever be able to play football again. Well, he made his comeback, and he made a comeback for the ages of this season, throwing for just about 4,600 yards and 39 touchdowns, leading the Colts to a wildcard berth and now a playoff victory this past weekend. With luck back, the Colts are an extremely trendy pick to host the Super Bowl or hoist the, the Lombardi Trophy in Atlanta in a few weeks. Luck definitely deserves the Comeback Player of the Year award without a doubt, but let's give our old friend, my old pal, Adrian Peterson, some love. In 2016, Adrian Peterson played in only three games for the Minnesota Vikings, and he rushed for 72 yards. After the season, the Vikings let Peterson go, to which he signed with the New Orleans Saints and was then shipped off to Arizona after an injury to David Johnson. With those two teams last year, Peterson finished with 529 yards rushing, two touchdowns, 11 catches for 70 yards. This season, with his new team, the Washington Redskins, at 33 years old, Adrian Peterson turned back the clock he rushed for 1,042 yards, 7 rushing touchdowns, on top of 20 catches for 208 yards, and a receiving touchdown. I can honestly say that I feel if the Redskins weren't down to their fourth quarterback by the year's end, Adrian Peterson's numbers would have been even better than they were. So great job, AP, one of the greatest running backs of all time. And lastly, Coach of the Year. Coach of the Year, man, several deserving candidates for this award as well. My prediction was Chargers coach Anthony Lynn grabbing the award, and while he did do exactly what I predicted he was going to do, which was lead the Chargers to 12 wins, I have a tough time choosing him as the coach of the year over Bears coach Matt Nagy. What Matt Nagy has done in one year with the Chicago Bears team is nothing short of phenomenal, and as I said earlier, the Bears have an extremely bright future ahead of them so long as they continue to develop Mitchell Trubisky. And just some quick tidbits of news to get into before we wrap this sucker up. 
As discussed last week, a quarter of the league's teams decided it was time to go in a new direction at head coach, not to mention changes in offensive and defensive coordinator as well. A week later, the 2019 season is already starting to take shape with a bunch of new hires. The Green Bay Packers hired former Titans offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur to fill their head coaching vacancy. LaFleur was the offensive coordinator in Los Angeles for the Rams in 2017 before accepting the same position with uh, Tennessee in 2018. The Arizona Cardinals have hired former Texas Tech head coach Cliff Kingsbury to be their head coach for the 2019 and perhaps beyond. We all know the struggles that college head coaches have had adjusting to NFL life over the last 20 years. And if you're not familiar, go look it up. I think former coach from 2018, uh, Steve Wilkes, got a raw deal. He was let go after one year. He had a below-average defense, a rookie quarterback, and an often-injured running back, and legendary wide receivers whose best years are behind him. But what do I know? What I do know is that Cliff uh, Cliff Kingsbury, he's going to have his hands full. And speaking of Arizona, former Cardinals coach Bruce Arians going to return to coaching after a one-year hiatus to coach the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the next four seasons with a fifth-year option. Arians is going to bring with him uh, former head coach Todd Bowles to coach the defense. Arians has also hired Byron Leftwich to be the offensive coordinator in Tampa. And the Browns have fired defensive coordinator and interim head coach Greg Williams. They promoted offensive coordinator Freddie Kitchens to a permanent head coaching role. And the Denver Broncos pried the brains behind the monsters of the midway defense, Vic Fangio, away from the Bears to be their new head coach. Denver is expected to name Gary Kubiak the Broncos' offensive coordinator. And Dirk Cutter is moving from Tampa Bay to Atlanta to coach the Falcons' offense. And former quarterbacks coach Kevin Stefanski took over the OC position in the middle of 2018 for the Minnesota Vikings when the Vikings cut ties with John DiFilippo. Stefanski is going to remain the offensive coordinator and play caller for Minnesota in 2019. With all that happening in one week, you can see how quickly things do move in the NFL. And we might be depressed that the Super Bowl's coming up and that's going to leave us with seven or eight months of just not football. The dead season, I call it. But relax. With as fast as things happen in the NFL, it'll be here before you know it. Now, I beg you, please listen to me this week. I know last week was difficult to predict with so many tough games, but the games this weekend are so much easier to forecast. So just take my advice and you'll get bragging rights over your dumb know-it-all friends and who knows, maybe even cash in. And up first, Saturday afternoon at 425 Eastern is Indianapolis at Kansas City. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm rolling with the Colts. I'm on that Indy hype train. For this week at least. They have the offensive firepower to stand toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs offense. And the Colts have a physical, fast defense that's not only twice as good as Kansas City's, but they have the ability to punch Patrick Mahomes in the mouth and slow him down, even if they're on the road. Now, by slowing Patrick Mahomes down and punching him in the mouth, that still might mean allowing Kansas City to put up 30 points but I can't see Kansas City holding Indy to under 30. If Indianapolis wants to run Marlon Mack, they can run him. They can run him all day against Kansas City's 26th-ranked run defense. And with one of, if not the best offensive line in football, you know Andrew Luck's going to be tearing that pass defense to shreds. So when you really compare these teams on paper, I really don't see how you can go against the Colts. Then when you take a look at the trends... 
The Colts lead the series 16-9, including one of the greatest comebacks in postseason history from a wild card game a few years ago. Down 38-10 in the third quarter, Andrew Luck led the Colts to an insane 45-44 comeback victory. If I'm not mistaken, that was the year that the Colts advanced to the AFC Championship game, and they were absolutely destroyed by the New England Patriots. And that game, of course, will be uh, most remembered for what has become known as Deflategate. Also, you have to look at the fact that the Chiefs have not won a home playoff game since 1994. A monkey, Kansas City, is desperately trying to get off their backs. And while the official MVP of the 2018 season has yet to be announced, all signs, stats, and logic point to that being Patrick Mahomes. As mentioned earlier, there's no reason it should not be Patrick Mahomes. And how do NFL MVPs fare in the playoffs? Well, out of 52 Super Bowls, only 10 MVPs have won it. And this hasn't happened since Kurt Warner with the St. Louis Rams back in 1999. Now, I understand this is not the Super Bowl. A number of other MVPs have made the Super Bowl and have lost or have lost along the way. And much like last week when picking the Phillip River-led Chargers over Lamar Jackson-led Ravens, I'm going with experience over youth. Let's not forget, as remarkable and as historic of a season as Patrick Mahomes has had, this is still his first full season starting. Essentially, a rookie on the field. And this is his first playoff appearance. The NFL playoffs are a different animal. I'm not as confident in this pick as I'm making it out to be. The Chiefs are at home. They have one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL. And the Chiefs are well-rested coming off a bye, which could be a blessing or a curse, kind of depending on how you look at it. And the Colts, I kind of wonder if they're riding a little bit too high after their dominant victory over the Texans last week. But as I said, I'm taking the Colts. I'm taking a determined Andrew Luck entering his prime over an inexperienced Patrick Mahomes who may be in over his head at just 23 years old. And speaking of uh, 23 years old, Ben Roethlisberger is the youngest quarterback to get to and win a Super Bowl. But Ben Roethlisberger with the Steelers, he had a great defense covering his back. Mahomes does not have that. All right, we got to move on. Final score, uh, Colts 34, Chiefs 28. And the Cowboys are back in primetime Saturday night as they head northwest to take on the L.A. Rams in the City of Angels. This might be the toughest game of the week for me to predict. The Cowboys are extremely hot, winning eight of their last nine. They're extremely well-rounded. And just a couple of months after I referred to Dak Prescott as Dak Trash Scott, I gotta admit, he's really come in clutch. On the other hand, uh, the Rams finished the season 2-2 two and two after starting out 11-1. and one. They earned a first-round bye, and when it comes to the bye, as I said before, it could be a curse or a blessing. When teams are riding a wave of momentum heading into the playoffs, the first-round bye could serve as a momentum killer. When it comes to teams such as the Rams, who finished a little slow, I'd say this is one scenario where the first-round bye has come at the right time. The Rams lost to the Eagles and the Bears towards the end of the season and finished the season by defeating the lowly Cardinals and 49ers, which is hardly anything to boast about. Last week it was a bye, and hopefully, for the Rams' sake, they took that week to regroup. The Cowboys, on the other hand, have won eight of their last nine and very well may boast the best remaining defense in the NFL playoffs. And you know something? There's nothing that suggests to me that the Cowboys cannot win this game. They have the NFL's leading rusher in Ezekiel Elliott going up against the worst rush defense in all of football. So for them to win this matchup, they're going to have to keep the ball in Ezekiel Elliott's hands. Run the ball 
control the clock, control the time of possession, the same way that the Cowboys defeated New Orleans back in week 13. The key for LA is just that. Come out, play solid defense, punch Dallas in the mouth, and light up the scoreboard early on offense. Stay consistent. The Rams can go up 14 or even just 10 points early in the game while consistently running Todd Gurley, using play action. I think this game is LA's to lose. It's going to take Dallas out of their comfort zone and force Dak Prescott to have to beat them throwing the ball. And while Dallas may very well have the best defense left in the playoffs, I'm not sure it's going to be enough. This defense has a tendency to collapse in the red zone and against an offense that can beat you however they want, that's not a good thing. The Cowboys haven't won a playoff game away from home since Super Bowl 30, like 23 years ago. And before that, their last true road playoff win was against the 49ers in 1993. I don't think the Cowboys break that unfortunate streak here. I think the Rams find their groove. They're too good on offense. And I think the Rams can do just enough on defense with an Aaron Donald strip sack on Dak Prescott on the final possession to hold off a late Cowboys rally. Rams take it 31-27. Sunday afternoon, the Chargers visit Foxborough to play the Patriots. And for as long as I can remember, and any one of my friends can back me up on this, when my team is eventually eliminated, I root for Tom Brady. I don't necessarily root for the Patriots. I'm not a Patriots fan. I'm a Tom Brady fan. I root for greatness, and Tom Brady is great. Not just great, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. And if you disagree, that's okay. Whether you think that title belongs to Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, or even Johnny Unitas, John Elway, I don't care. You probably make a very good argument for any of those guys. But in my opinion, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback who ever lived. And I always root for him to succeed. But Philip Rivers deserves a ring. Philip Rivers has gone on record to say that unlike Tom Brady, he's got no desire or ambition to play until he's 45 years old. So whether that means he wants to play until he's 41 or 40 or even even one more year after this year. Philip Rivers is 37 years old. He does not have a lot of time to get that Super Bowl ring. This year is his best chance with arguably the most well-rounded team left in the playoffs. I'd like to see him get a ring, but that doesn't mean I'm picking them over New England in Foxborough. Philip Rivers is 0-7 lifetime against Tom Brady-led Patriots, and the Patriots are the only undefeated team at home this season, a perfect 8-0. Bill Belichick is still the best at preparing his team. And you know what? In my opinion, just how LeBron James should be named MVP every season in the NFL or in the NBA, the same should be said for Bill Belichick with coach of the year in the NFL. But historically, what has been the one way to throw Belichick and Brady off of their game? It's like if you do this one thing, your odds of beating the Patriots home or away increase immensely. What is that? The truest formula to defeating the Patriots is, God damn it, you guessed it, put pressure on Tom Brady. Collapse the pocket, hit him, smack him around, whatever it takes. It's the only thing that has ever worked. And with Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa and the rest of LA's defensive line, the Chargers possess the ability to go into Foxborough, knock Tom Brady on his keister, and walk out of there with a chance to host the AFC Championship as the fifth seed. Jacksonville nearly pulled off this upset last season in the playoffs with a similar defense. The difference between Jacksonville and the Chargers? 
The Jags don't have a reliable, capable quarterback that we know the Chargers do. I'll be honest, I want to take the Chargers. And I kind of think they're going to win. As you all know, I had this uh, I had the Patriots losing to the Saints in the Super Bowl since the preseason. And a good buddy of mine, he runs a playoff pool where you fill out a bracket similar to the NCAA's March Madness. I have the Saints beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl there as well. And in this matchup in particular, I have the Patriots beating the Chargers. And since this is my podcast, I'm allowed to go back on that now. (laughs) But my ego. You know, what it really comes down to is this. Is my ego that big to where I root against Phillip Rivers, a guy that I obviously want to root for, just so I can boast later on about how my preseason prediction was correct? Is my ego really that big? (laughs) Fuck yeah, it is. I'm not confident. But I won't be mad if I'm wrong. Patriots win 27 to 20. And lastly, the Philadelphia Eagles travel to New Orleans to take on the Saints after the funniest victory I have ever seen, making Chicago feel my pain. Cody Parkey, Eagles MVP. What's up, Chi-Town? But my days rooting for the Eagles are over. I got what I wanted out of those clowns, and now I'm done with them. Can Nick Foles provide the magic for Philly yet again? Nah, nah. It's got to end at some point. Nick Foles is not that good. And much like I didn't expect him to outduel Tom Brady in the Super Bowl last year, to which I was wrong, I'm not going to me- uh, expect much out of him again. I still don't. I'm going to keep doubting the Eagles. And if you're an Eagles fan, you know what? That should make you, that shouldn't that should make you happy. You shouldn't be mad because every time Nick Foles is doubted, he proves every critic out there wrong. But I can't help it. <laughs> He's not that good. And he's not going to outduel Drew Brees in New Orleans this Sunday. Final score, Saints 27, Eagles 16. And there you have it. That's a wrap on this week's episode of the Join My League football podcast. Only seven football games left for this week, two next week, and of course the Super Bowl. Thank you for everyone who has shared the link to this podcast over the last several months even. I appreciate the support and it helps more than you know. Tune in next week for a recap of the divisional round and a look ahead to Championship Sunday. Enjoy the games, stress not, and have a fantastic weekend.